Bonnie is back for a question and answer episode this week. We're responding to your questions on reading habits, motivating employees, and drawing the line between friend and manager. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 558. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. Those of you who have been listening for a long time know that Bonnie regularly appears with me on the show to respond to questions that come in from our listening community. If you have a question that you would like us to consider for a future episode, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. That's the very best place for us to get it to for you to get it does rather for consideration and uh for those of you who have not heard bonnie on the show or maybe have recently uh begun listening bonnie is uh my life partner my best friend and also in her own right such a talented and thoughtful and kind leader in so many ways and i'm always so excited to be able to have this conversation with you bonnie uh to talk about some of the questions that have come in welcome back to the show Thanks, Dave. You know how they say that time has lost all meaning in the pandemic? Yes, I do. Well, I thought we were still doing these shows monthly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure how my brain would have thought that, but it did seem like it had been a while, but I I just didn't realize it had been a while, while, while that we had we had, you had changed the schedule on me, but I am ready for these questions. In fact, we have a question. From Lucas. Are you ready for Lucas's question? I'm ready, but I was going to mention what you just said. First of all, you haven't been on the show since the 10-year anniversary, so thank you so much for all of the things. I mean, I've thanked you, obviously, in person, but on the air. Thank you for everything. I've given up (laughs) trying to forward you all the emails of people who say thank you and just love everything you've said to them over the years. So thank you so much on everyone's behalf. And yes, I did change the schedule and didn't tell you. (laughs) And the reason is, like everyone else, we had this perfectly tuned schedule, at least it seemed like it now looking back, on how we were doing episodes. And many of you remember, we used to do monthly episodes at the beginning of every month of Q&A. And then the pandemic hit, and our schedules got crazy. And all of a sudden, a couple months had gone by, and your schedule got crazy. And we had so many interviews that started coming in for the show. And I just kind of decided, well, let's do it quarterly. And then all of a sudden, you know, we were going quarterly. So yeah, here we go. Anyway, so let's just uh, let's just go for it. Here so we go. First question from Lucas. Huh? Lucas writes, I'm in the midst of a major transition in my working life, moving into the CEO role at my company next year. I feel like there's so much to learn. And I've been spending time during the last few years reading, listening to take in as much as I can. Lately, I find that there are a lot of areas where I want to read more, but most business books seem to be on the order of 200 to 300 pages, audiobooks on the order of 10 plus hours of listening time. Can you and or listeners offer recommendations on impactful business books that have the gift of being short? I know great ideas may take time to talk about, explain, and guide others within writing, so I know this is a somewhat silly request, but trying to cover a lot of ground, and this will help me do that more quickly. Lucas, thank you so much for sending this question. You are not the first person who has asked a question like this, and I... uh... I'm going to answer a slightly different question than you've asked. I do have a couple of recommendations for you, but I would actually invite you 
to think about this not necessarily as a more or a less, but from a lens of relevancy. So you are, by the way, congratulations, about to, it sounds like, or maybe even as we're recording this, uh, having become CEO. That is a big responsibility in any organization. And as you mentioned, you've been doing a lot of reading and listening and thoughtfulness about your career already. I'm guessing that you already have three or four or five or 10 things on your list that are coming up for you as things that you'd like to get better at or improve upon in order to be able to execute on this new role successfully. And that would be the place that I'd invite you to start, if you haven't already, is to get that down on paper, make that a tangible list. And I would look at it through the lens of competency, not through the lens of book titles. And thinking about where do I need to get better as a CEO? Is it that I need to be more coach-like? Is it that I need to get better at handling conflict, strategy, vision, whatever's important for you, get that down on paper. Find the three to five that for you are most important right now and start there. And then utilize that as the starting point for what would be the book, the podcast, the TED Talk, whatever that you're going to go and follow or to dive in on in order to be able to get what you most need. And as far as it through the lens of reading, once you know what that list is, you might start on the Coaching for Leaders website and just do a quick search on the topic and look at who we've had on the show in the recent past or even long ago that has books and resources on that topic specifically. And for those of you who haven't set up your free membership, you can do it at coachingforleaders.com and you can search the entire library by topic. You might want to start there, Lucas, and just look at, rather than starting from a place of the book itself, of looking at the topic, the situation, and how do you get better at it. And when you decide what that book or resource or podcast or whatever is, the way that I like to enter into things now versus what I did five or 10 years ago is I try to find what's the most useful thing for me from this person's work that will help. So here's an example. When I pick up a book to review it for the show and I'm preparing for a conversation with an author, usually my first step is to pick up the book. I read the first chapter. I may read the second chapter and then I go look at the table of contents. Once I have a sense of the overall message of the book, and I go look at the table of contents and I say, which here on this list is most important for our audience to know about, to hear about, is going to be most useful for the people listening? Not that the rest of the book isn't most useful, but based on what I'm hearing, what I know people are dealing with, what I'm hearing from our Academy members, where can I zero in that's going to be most helpful? And then I'll start with those chapters. And I may still go and read the entire book, but I don't necessarily read it in order. And sometimes I get into a book and I read a first chapter and then I'll go find another chapter that I think is really relevant. And I never get past that. Not because the rest of the book wasn't good, but because I found something that was so rich and deep and there's so much that I can do with it for a conversation or for my own work or in my coaching that I never get past that point. And so I may only end up spending 60 minutes reading the 10-hour audiobook, right? And I would invite you to think about doing the same. You know, we have all been taught this lesson that we need to be completionists when it comes to books, that we need to not only read a book in order, but that as soon as we start it, we have to finish it. And that is a choice. And it works sometimes, and that's great if you're reading a novel. 
But when you're thinking about this through the lens, like you are, Lucas, of how do I get the most out of this in the most effective and useful manner for me, I would invite you to think about how can you look at getting what's most important out of the book. And then once you find that chapter, that idea, that principle that's most important, then I would pivot pretty quickly to how do you apply it and use it? So one of the audio courses that we have on the website, this is also free, is how to get traction. And the intention behind that audio course is to zero in on one of those three to five things. And once you decide what that is and you decide the message that you've received from the book or whatever resource that's useful to you to implement, then I would start there of actually taking the 90 days that that course outlines and applying it in your work and learning things from it and getting feedback and having conversations with folks in your organization in order to really get value from your reading. So I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily invite you to read more, which is kind of the context of your question. How do I actually read more books without reading more books? I would invite you to read more purposefully. And maybe you even read a little less as far as your clock hours, but you're spending more time doing the implementation of the thing that is that you're learning. Now, if you really want to grab a couple of book titles that might be useful, I put together a document a number of years ago that's called The 13 Crucial Books That Every Leader Should Know. I just looked at it today. It's still just as relevant as it was four or five years ago when I first put it together. Everyone can access it for free at coachingforleaders.com slash crucial. So if you go there, Lucas, you'll see a list of a bunch of books that I think almost every leader will benefit from. You might use one of those as your starting point for beginning to dive in on what's next. The other resource that I'd mentioned that many of our Academy members find useful as well is a service that's called Blinkist. It's got a funny name, but it's a powerful service. It is a, it's essentially one of those services where they do a bit of a book summary. So a book that might be 10 hours that take you to read, you can read in 15 or 20 minutes because they do a nice summary of the book. And again, I would use that as a, I wouldn't use that as an ending point for your learning. I think sometimes people read, use the book summary services and they say, well, I got everything I needed to get out of the 15 minutes because I read the book summary. I would instead, the people that I see that use that service most effectively in our academy are the people who use that as their screening for which books they're going to read and dive in on more detail. And I think you might use something like Blinkist or many of the other services out there that would help you to identify what's going to be the most useful book for you. Just like Dave... I'm going to not answer your question, (laughs) but I'm going to push back a little bit and invite you to do some similar things that Dave talked about. I'm going to invite you to do three things. The first is to spend more time thinking. I'd like to invite you to spend more time asking, and I'd invite you to spend more time resurfacing. When it comes to thinking, I recall so vividly about 10 or 15 years ago, there was a fascinating article, which I wish I had bookmarked, Dave, because I've referred to it so many times since then. But it was looking at the common challenges that presidents in the United States have shared, regardless of political party, regardless of style, and it was having enough time for thinking. The danger in wanting to spend more time reading is that it could potentially since we all have a finite amount of time, give you a false sense of security 
that you're spending the time doing the most valuable thing. And I just think about those leaders, again, across lots of different philosophies, policy ideas, etc. just that common shared challenge and how important it is for us to be thinking. The other challenge that I have for you around wanting to spend more time reading is it's an external view of the world, which is essential, by the way, we need to definitely not be myopic, only within our own industry or only within our own companies and our circumstances. But the challenge is that the further up that we move in organizations, the harder it is for us to have a keen appreciation for those things that people would feel reluctant to tell us because of the power that we now are perceived as having. So I'd invite you to spend more time asking if it came between reading another business book or having key levers that would allow you to have lenses into the view of the things that are most important for you to know that people might not necessarily tell you if you don't ask. And sometimes that ask needs to happen where people are allowed to provide you with anonymous feedback. And sometimes it's building those key relationships and asking for candid feedback toward the things that are most relevant for you as a leader that you're trying to grow in. And I'm sure that Dave probably has some ideas already that we can put in the show notes around really key discussions that Dave has had in the past around how to ask those key questions for feedback. I'd encourage you read one last book a month and add in this key lens to be able to read your company, read your impact in a more powerful way. And the final thing I'd invite you to do is to spend more time resurfacing thing. Dave and I have really gotten into this service. I believe we've both talked about it on the podcast before, but I'd like to share about it again. It's called Readwise. And I can be reading a book, whether it's a PDF, sometimes I'm able to get advanced copies of books, which feels to me, Dave, like just a kid in a candy store over here. And sometimes I'm reading an electronic book. And as I highlight, it's syncing to the service. And it's basically digesting all of these highlights that I consider to be important enough to stop my reading and feed into the various systems and all my highlights from across I use a read it later service that's called Instapaper. As I mentioned, I sometimes read directly off of PDFs or if I'm reading in an ebook. And they're all getting collected and curated there inside of the Readwise surface. And what that's allowing me to do is be able to resurface the things that were most important to me. I can favorite them. I can decide how often I want these things to get resurfaced for me. Another thing I'm not as disciplined about doing, but perhaps you'll have greater success than me, would be some form of journaling. But the journal app that I use is called Day One. Many of the journal apps will do this where they will resurface a year ago, this is what you were facing, this is what you were writing about, this is what you were challenged about. So in the same way that when I ask you to spend more time asking questions of people within your organization who you lead, you also could resurface your own areas of growth as a leader and be able to have some sort of a journaling tool to be able to do that for you. So once again, I just encourage you to spend a little bit more time thinking 
a little bit more time asking questions and a little bit more time resurfacing. Thank you so much for the question. I do apologize. It's one of those sorry, not sorry things. I I feel like I read sometimes and if I'm not actually going to do something with it, it's not going to be a great use of time. And you've got so much on your plate now in this major leadership opportunity. And congratulations again on becoming CEO. And reading is like so much fun to dive in and get into the details when you're doing it for entertainment. But when from from a practical business standpoint, uh, sometimes it makes sense to like not necessarily just go from stop start to finish, like you said, Bonnie. Lucas, we'd love to hear what you decide to do coming out of this. Drop me a note. Let me know. I'd love to hear. So let's go to our next question here that came in from Elizabeth. She wrote, I recently started my first job as a project lead, and I have several projects I'm working on. Most of them appear to go smoothly with my team members valuing my input and listening to me when I ask them to do something. However, I work with two people on two of my projects that do not seem to like the fact that I'm a newbie and giving them things to do. Although I'm fairly sure that it's not purely because of my leadership role over them. And she says, I'm 10 years younger. They're extremely busy and we are understaffed. I was wondering if there are some ways to slowly make them realize that it's in their best interest to cooperate. Bonnie, what do you think? I really enjoy reading the literature around motivation and what really motivates people. And there are three things that come out of that literature. And the first is how important autonomy is in our sense of motivation and what drives us. One of the things that concerns me about your question is around this, and it's a subtle phrase. Sometimes we really pick up on little things and there may be nothing here, but I was concerned around this phrase that you used. It's in their best interest to cooperate. And I am someone who has a lot of shall we say, baggage around control. And and I don't really enjoy being controlled. Most people don't. So I would really ask you as a leader, I'd invite you to consider, is it really in their best interest to cooperate with you? Or would it be maybe more in your best interest to have more of an orientation as a leader to be asking for input to creating opportunities where people can learn from one another. As a leader, I do try to remain pretty humble that I don't always have the best answers. Yet, I do, again, I don't want to take too much out of the way that you worded things. But yes, sometimes someone needs to make a decision. We do need to provide a sense of moving forward. And we can't all be asking ourselves questions all the time. At some point, decisions do have to be made. But when you approach leadership that way, you could be giving the impression that people don't have the kind of autonomy that we all, so many of us need in order to to maintain our sense of motivation. The second thing that a lot of the literature tells us around what motivates people is the sense of mastery, being able to get really good at something. And it's important for you to be considering in your own growth as a career, are you able to lead people who are stellar at what they do? We often, I will often call these people rock stars. And as a leader, I need to recognize I want to continue to grow my own leadership. And part of that means leading people and being comfortable doing so leading people who are way better at whatever the thing is than what we're talking about. And so that's something for you just to be considering 
Is it always going to be that you have the answers and it's in everyone's else best interest to cooperate with you? Or might it be that you're leading people you're providing almost a fertilization, you're providing that good soil because of giving people autonomy, helping people grow and develop such that they can become absolutely amazing at something, perhaps even more skilled at it than you are. And then the third area I'd like to share about that shows up in a lot of the literature around what motivates people is having a sense of significance. And so as leaders, that's another thing that we can often do is to be able to help people connect their own sense of significance and how they are able to contribute to something larger than themselves. And that can be another way to challenge ourselves. So so I would I would invite you just to think a little bit about control and is leadership about control or is leadership about influence and influence is a lot messier it's a lot more fearful if we're feeling a little bit especially leading people who are older than you leading people with perhaps more experience than you that can really bring out some of our insecurities and some of our feelings of inadequacy but it's so much easier, I think, to embrace that, oh, no, I'm not here to control. I'm not here to dictate precisely exactly how this all has to happen. I'm here to get to influence and also to help people uncover the ways that what they do actually make a difference. I love everything you said, Bonnie, and I have a few tactical things to go along with what you recommended. First of all, for those who'd like to get in more on the motivation literature that Bonnie mentioned, um, I think the very best book, speaking of books on this, is Drive by Daniel Pink. He does a beautiful job of really painting a picture around the history and the research, but it's also just a compelling read. Um, if you're looking to motivate people, I think that that's a really wonderful place to start, and it captures a bunch of the essences of what Bonnie just mentioned. And the the other thing that I was thinking of, Bonnie, I actually zeroed in on two phrases as well, but they were different than yours. One of them was the age phrase. You mentioned being younger than the folks that you're you're leading that you're having a little bit more friction with. Uh, Bonnie and I had, speaking of years going by, I think nine years ago, we recorded an episode, it's episode 59, on seven principles for leading people older than you. And both of us found ourselves early on in our career leading people who were many years our senior and who had expertise in the things that they were doing far beyond the expertise we had. But it wasn't our job to be the expert. It was our job to define the work, to lead the work, to set outcomes, to have vision, to, to do the work of leadership, but to really do it through the lens of how do we honor the wonderful expertise and experience that people bring. So that episode does a deep dive on that, uh, Elizabeth, and you might find that useful for a few more ideas on it. But here's a couple of, of, of starting points for it. One of them would be the other phrase that I zeroed in on is you said giving them things to do. When I think of an experienced person, as you describe these folks, of ex they've had a lot of experience. I'm assuming they generally know what they're doing. They know how to do the work. Um, as Bonnie said, aut autonomy is huge for so many people. I would invite you to think about maybe transitioning that, um, that phrase, giving them things to do, to defining the outcome. What's the outcome of the projects? You mentioned there are several of them. Um, what are the outcomes? What are the milestones people to hit? 
those are something that probably do come from the project manager, that everyone needs to be at a place where that's very clear and agreed to. But the how that happens, especially for an experienced person, you do the work of defining the outcome as the manager and the timeline, and then you leave it to an experienced person to decide how they're going to meet that timeline. And maybe you do a little bit of coaching and connecting. Now, with someone who doesn't have experience, you're going to be doing a lot more work. You might be even doing more dictating to them. Okay, here's how it needs to go if you're doing this for the first time, right? But for an experienced person, I would I would really encourage you to think about this as how do I define the outcomes and then ask them, what do the, what does the task list look like? What do the milestones maybe even look like that make this happen in such a way that is going to be leverage their experience and their wisdom that they already bring. And if you can do that, you're giving them a lot more ownership over it. The other place that I'd invite you to think about is what's really important for them. Bonnie mentioned mastery. What do they want to get better at? What Where do they want to go in their careers? You have the role as leader, manager, project manager, of being able to see a little bit of the bigger picture. And you might enter into some of these conversations rather than a starting point of, here's what I need you to do today, of where are you working on becoming? And a wonderful framework for that is to begin with career conversations, of to begin to understand where they're going, what's important to them, how can you help support them in getting to where they want to go, a beautiful framework for this was presented on episode 370 by Russ Laraway of walking us through a three-step process for having career conversations. And it starts with looking at where folks have come in their careers, where they're at today, and they're where they're going, past, present, and future. And if you take the time to do that as a leader for the people you're working with, not just these two folks, but all those folks, that takes time, it takes investment, but almost, almost nobody does it consistently. If you begin in that place and really demonstrate to people over time that it's not just about getting the task done today, but in addition to that, I as manager of this organization, I as leader of this team, am ready and willing to support you in going where you're going in your career, and I'm going to help you to do that. I'm going to help connect the resources and the work and the pride, the coaching and the feedback. Then all of a sudden, you're doing that in the context of what's important to them, and that from a long term, is going to get you to a place, I think, that will be way beyond just today's task list, way beyond. Yes, all those things will still be there, but you're doing it in the context of something even larger. So I hope that uh, in there, Elizabeth, is a starting point for you. Pick one of those things that you may begin with, and I think that will get you down the journey of beginning to change this relationship a bit to, uh, I say this and you do this, to a I'm here to support the success of the whole organization and to help everyone to move forward. And that'd be a really exciting place for you to go. This next question comes from Beth. Beth writes, I'm a new manager and struggling with drawing the line of being a friend and a manager. I want them to feel as if they can be open with me, but I also need a level of respect and professionalism. I find some of my direct reports will try including me in office gossip and daily tasks that they're responsible for. I love jumping in and helping the team out, leading by example, but I also don't want to set a wrong tone. Thanks for your question, Beth. And you mentioned the word or the phrase, you're looking for where to draw the line between being a friend and manager. I wanted to just say that 
in my experience, there really isn't a line. And I don't think we talk about this enough. I know it's shown up in some of the research around employee motivation. I'm back to that again, although I'm back to, I think, a different set of research, this time from the Gallup organization. But some of the early work they've done on job satisfaction would point toward when we have a person we consider to be our friend at work, that it's a lot more likely we're going to be that much more satisfied in our jobs. And I think it would be kind of, and you didn't say this at all, I just, I'm just i more speaking about this whole thing of why we think there need to be these huge barriers between us that we would have to set up and just set ourselves up to think we're not supposed to be friends with people at work. When you spend that kind of time around other people, my goodness gracious, I hope that we're friends, you know? And so the the big difference, and Dave talked about this a little bit, the big difference, of course, in how the relationships change is that there is now a power differential there that wasn't there previously. People who are managers often speak into or even sometimes make the decision that has to do with another person's income that they make, with what projects they're assigned to work on. And whenever we have a power differential in our relationships, whether that power differential is perceived as being exercised or not, just the very fact that it is there changes the dynamic in our relationships. For example, I recently have grown close to a student who's finishing up his four-year college experience. And just the other day, we were talking together. I'm delighted to be able to celebrate this new season for him in his life after he graduates and goes on to law school. But I'm also excited for us to get to know each other without the power differential that comes in when someone is another person's teacher. And for example, there's grades involved in that kind of stuff. We just talked very openly about how our relationship will change in some really good ways. As he was also telling me very sweetly, he was sad that, you know, that this particular class was ending and all of that. But I'm looking forward to having a relationship with this person that doesn't have that power differential. Now, it's not like in those kinds of situations, everything is equal. I am decades older than this person. So when you talk about mentoring relationships, there's also different dynamics that come in. But we have all sorts of different friendships. Not all of our friendships are completely equally yoked. But in a workplace where we have to be very careful from a legal and from an ethical standpoint is when that power differential comes into play. And as Dave said, you mentioned that being a new manager, we are assuming that you're starting to want to find what does this look like for you to perhaps have friendships, but also to be in a leadership role, to be managing other people and what that means. I would say that since this is new for you, Beth, I personally wouldn't sit down and want to have a lot of conversations about how now everything has to be different and you're in charge now. And so you're expecting respect and professionalism from other people and you can't do those things that you used to do. And again, you didn't say those words, but Recognize that sitting down and instantly having a hard cutoff. I am formally reminding you that I am now in charge of you. And so therefore, I need professionalism and respect isn't going to go down really well. Instead, what it could look like is spending more time up front 
thinking about what this is like for you and noticing some of the differences. Dave encouraged you to think through what are those new boundaries. A person can set boundaries without making a huge proclamation about it. You could just choose to have somewhere else you needed to be as office gossip was coming up. You don't you don't necessarily have to take corrective action. You don't have to express what it is you are doing. In fact, I would caution you because you know what? We're all going to get this wrong. I've been at this a long time and I still know I'm quite capable of getting things wrong. So since it's new to you, I'm going to use a horseback riding (laughs) analogy here. Since you're just kind of getting on this particular horse, rather than doing a lot of outward expressions of those things, I would try to get a feel of the ride, make some mistakes without necessarily outwardly expressing what you're doing, just just experiment a little bit, do some writing, some reflective writing, think a little bit about it. Personally, I don't know that I would go out there and start to talk a lot about these boundaries, you could actually enact them without saying a word to anyone. And by the way, as a side note, wouldn't we all be better off if we did a little less office gossip, not necessarily because we were in power or control, but just like, because it's not a great activity to participate in, and doing it from that standpoint, but deciding what the boundaries are from an inward standpoint first, before you then started to go public with some of these boundaries that you'd like to set. I already mentioned a few related episodes in response to a few of the specific questions. However, a few more that might be helpful to you if you found that you'd like to lean in more on some of the topics we discussed today. One of them is episode 107, Three Steps to Soliciting Feedback. My guest on that episode was Tom Henschel, the first time Tom was on the show. Bonnie mentioned earlier in this conversation the value in soliciting feedback and having a good model for that. Episode 107, a three-step process from Tom on exactly what you can do step-by-step to begin to solicit feedback inside your organization and from your team. I'd also recommend episode 233, How to Make Deep Work Happen with Cal Newport. Cal is the author of the very popular book, Deep Work and the Principles Behind Deep Work. And as Bonnie said earlier in our response to Lucas's question, the importance of taking time to think and set aside time for that deep work. Cal in episode 233 really walks us through the principles for the importance of that, but also the how-to in detail. So find that episode for a lot more there. I'd also recommend episode 435, tying leadership development to business results. Mark Allen was my guest on that episode. We talked about the importance of leadership development being very practical. And that episode, Mark challenges us to spend 70% of our time, he calls it the 70-20-10 rule, 70% of our time focused on practical application, learning on the job, as they say, 20% of time coaching and mentoring, and 10% classroom instruction. Most of us do all three of those things. We just often have those percentages way out of whack. We may spend 60 or 70% of our time just doing the reading, the classroom pieces, doing some coaching and mentoring, and maybe not actually going and practically applying what we're learning. Episode 435, a roadmap for exactly how to think about that for yourself, but also for the larger organization. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 532, how to help people thrive. Jim Harder was my guest on that episode. He's at Gallup. We talked about some of the recent research that Gallup has surfaced around employee engagement, motivation. Uh, A lot of that is covered in the motivation work, as I mentioned earlier, from uh, Daniel 
Daniel Pink and Drive. Uh, but obviously, it's been a number of years since that book was written. And a lot of the recent data that's coming out of Gallup, there's some interesting parallels, but also some recent context that's important for all of us. Episode 532 is a very recent look at some of the key data. De- Key, key data, rather, and where you can begin with it. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. As I mentioned earlier, if you haven't set up your free membership, I'm inviting you to do that. That'll give you the access to the entire library, searchable by topic for every episode since 2011. You can find the things that are most relevant to you and begin with those episodes and those resources so that it really drives your leadership development today. In addition, you'll get access to my weekly leadership guide that comes each week with all of the notes and links from every episode, plus all of the things I've been finding for you. And as I mentioned on this episode, there's a number of audio courses that are also available for free on the website, uh, coachingforleaders.com. To set up your free membership, you'll get access to everything in there, plus a ton more. Next week, I'm so glad to welcome back Muriel Wilkins to the show. She is the host of the Coaching Real Leaders podcast from Harvard Business Review. She's returning to do a little diff- some, little something different next week. Muriel and I are going to be reflecting on some of the recent trends that we're seeing and hearing from our work with leaders. Join us for an insight into what we're hearing right now next Monday. Have a great week, and we'll see you then.